Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. My name is Paul LeFavor. I'm here with my Ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. Today is Friday, this September 16, 2007, uh, excuse me, 2022. Get my years right. Uh, today, our guest is retired U.S. Army Command Sergeant Major Tom Satterley, a 25-year highly decorated U.S. Army veteran who served in uh, Delta Force, uh, he witnessed intense combat, the Battle of Mogadishu, and was even portrayed in the film Black Hawk Down. He went on to lead a Saber Squadron troop in Iraq, and Tom is also the author of the book All Secure. Uh, Tom is joined uh, with us on the podcast today by his, with his wife, Jen, uh, who also has authored a new book entitled Arsenal of Hope. Uh, together, Tom and Jen uh, have uh, they founded the All Secure Foundation, um, which gives hope uh, to a lot of people who are in a, a distress. So, Tom, you have an incredible career. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. Truly appreciate you having us on. It's an honor. Uh, and I, uh, Jen, also welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Mike, appreciate it. Yeah, Tom, you have uh, such an awesome, uh, an awesome. I'm just going to mix uh, metaphors here. Career, Let's make I, up words. <laughs> just make up some <laughs> words. Word salad, but a word salad, I guess. Uh, so I just have to tell all our listeners uh, that I also went through uh, the unit selection, and Tom was also uh, one of my cadre. So this is kind of a Graceland moment, I guess. Uh, that's kind of weird. But uh, Tom, you've had an incredible career. How did it all begin? Wow. You know, it began when I was looking for college money. It, it, was, it was one of those um, not doing too good with my parents' money in college. And it was like, I better go make my own way. And, and a, my, one of my best friends in high school had joined and he was off in basic. And when he came, he came back and it was a, a ride up to a John Cougar concert. He was telling me all about basic and he was on his way to Germany and it was really cool. And the haircut wasn't that bad. And I thought, that's what I need to do to get out of this little town. So little pink houses, little pink houses <laughs> sent me on my way. And it was it was uh, it was like, oh, four years in and out, I'll come back and I'll be in college and then you know, I'll do whatever. I had no idea what I was going to do. And, and boom, I blinked. And 25 years later, I'm retiring from the unit. And, and uh, you know, I spent 20 in the unit and wow. and I don't even know what happened really along the way. I just I, I was introduced to some cool stuff in Germany, French commando school, German ranger school and the Swiss march and platoon confidence training. And and then all I wanted to do was that. It just seemed like uh, work my way up a ladder. I didn't know where I was going. And while I was in language school, some guys from that I had met in the Q course that were in the unit already came and found me at language school. I'm like, hey, uh, we don't work here. We really work here. And we think you should try out. And I was like, oh, cool. That sounds even cooler. So that's that's kind of <laughs> the unplanned path that I took to get where I, where I ended up. Wow. Well, you know, behind every uh, warrior, there's... Um you know, the significant other. So I know when I was in service, I, I think the uh, the one that had it the most was my wife. Jen, um, how, how much of this did you have to suffer through? <laughs> she got the worst half. <laughs> I, I met Tom, so he was retired already um, probably two and a half years, but he had only been stateside the last maybe three, four months. So really kind of met him right out of retirement. Oh, so, so you got all you got him. all the mess. You got the fun stuff. You <laughs> yeah, got you got you got the guy who's trying to transition after twenty five years of doing something else. He was in a great was, spot. Was no manual. <laughs> yeah, yeah I was, okay. Uh, I was three divorces in, and yeah. I was ready to hang it up, figuring out I'm I'm the common denominator. So, well, we know we know Jen's a tough cookie then. <laughs> she, she definitely, she definitely has gone toe to toe with me and uh, come out ahead. Hey, Tom, there's an interesting part of your book uh, where you talk about 
uh, going to SFAS and actually uh, being uh, approached to do the unit selection or something like that. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, That's wild. Right at, actually, in language <laughs> school. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're you're going to uh, language school. I think it's uh, what was it, uh, Farsi? Yeah. So, so you know, <laughs> that, that didn't go well either. I mean, I went through Korean, and because uh, oh, I first God. went to first group, and uh, looking up at the uh, uh, on the wall the alphabet that I had to learn, I just thought, you know, I don't know how I'm going to make it, make it through this. Yeah, no, no, there's no way. So did I you? No... <laughs> So, Tom, it seems like you went to the, the you did the long walk to avoid far, uh, Persian Farsi. It was, it, was easy, it, was, it was the easier choice, I'll tell you that. There was yeah. one guy in class, he was doing his homework in Cyrillic or whatever, and I'm like, I, I don't even know where you get that shit. I, don't, yeah. I, can't, I, can, I can cuss and order a beer, and that was it, and wow. the rest just wasn't ever going to happen. Yeah, that is wild. Yeah, even the alphabet's all jacked up. Yeah. yeah, I took Arabic and that was just crazy. I was looking at the, I was envious of those guys taking Spanish and French and the rest of it. I know, right? I thought I can go to a better part of the world. I can hear what people talk about around me. Yeah. But no, I got a language that nobody uses anywhere unless you're in the bad parts. Awesome. Hey, so Tom, the uh, I really wanted to ask you about Mogadishu. Now, your book uh, works up to that point, uh, but if we could just dive into that, you know, what was it like? Uh, if you could just kind of paint a picture for us, what was it like to do missions out of that hangar to do missions at Mogadishu? Man, I was excited. I was young. I mean, you know, you couldn't tell me anything. I knew everything, and I was in I was in the unit. So God, I was I was a god, and I was finally getting to go to war after I'd missed the first Gulf War because I was at a selection date, you know, and I and before that I missed Grenada and Panama because I was PCSing from Germany on over. Or I was in the Q course, so I, I, to a young soldier, I thought I'd miss three wars. You know, I'm never yeah. I suck at my job, and I wanted to get at it. And so when Somalia popped around, it was like the first, you know, the first missions we did were like what you would think. You know, lots of noise. You maybe shoot shoot at some people, and they shoot back, but nobody gets hurt. And if they do, it's not that bad. And then, and then we got the Osman auto capture. You know, with the first vehicle interdiction mm. we did, and it was a firefight up and down the alleyway with me and another guy. And it was one of those, uh, you know, it was scary, but man, I was young and it wasn't that bad. And and then three October hit and it all just changed. And it was one of those, everything changes when you're trapped, when yeah. you know, you can't do what you want to do. And you know that the people coming for you want or trying to kill you. And that there's a very good chance. I mean, I, that night I, I resorted to the fact that I was going to die. Yeah. And I think that's the moment that um, everything hit me for the rest of my life. You know, the shit I have to work on to this day that I still work on was I gave up empathy and compassion that day for almost all of my career and a lot of my retired life. I, uh, I just figured it was the end and I was going to help as many of my friends as I could and, and take as many people with me along the way. And, and it, you know, spoiler alert, that didn't happen, but when your brain thinks it happened, um, it happened, you know, to you. And the rest of my career was spent, you know, ensuring that that would never happen again with my fingers in the air and quotations, right? That'll never happen again. I'm going to train harder and harder and harder. And anybody near me is going to train harder and harder. If I'm in charge, you're going to, you're going to hate it because we're never going to let this happen again. In fact, one of my heartbreaking stories you told me was when you were in Iraq and you had, you were on the radio that time calling Black Hawk down and mm. how, it all hit you at that moment. Like mm. you didn't ever want to get there again. And now you're in charge making that call. And that was one of the hardest things you had. To, well, not one yes. of the hardest, but well, they are. Samaria, <laughs> you know, you're young and you're not in charge. You know, I was running around to shoot people and break stuff. You know, I was like, yeah, let's do this, man. Number one guy in the door. You couldn't stop me. And I think uh, our first mission, I cleared three rooms with my team leader trying to grab my collar <laughs> behind me because I was running in by myself doing everything wrong. <laughs> Wow. You know, doing room clearing with one man, and he, he yeah. grabbed me at the end. He's like, man, you're brave, but your tactics are fucked up. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah. well, I'll never do that again. You know, that's mission number yeah. one, so I calmed down a little bit. And But all those missions were kind of like what you thought it would be, you know, and then you get into that 18 hours of I want to go home, and I can't. And yeah. and I don't know if the convoy is ever going to get here. And, oh, by the way, we're running out of ammo. It wasn't ever what I thought I would be in. 
you know, I don't think that people really sit around and consider that. It's not like, hey, if we go to war, we're all going to die. I mean, I, I think recruitment would drop a bit. So it's kind of like, hey, we're going to go to war and we're going to win and we're going to come home to be a parade, you know, and that night I was thinking about the days of there's no parades and and you start hearing the the radio chatter of people, you know, dying or wounded and you don't know. And then the next morning when it all hit me, when I saw, you know, I don't know, 12 bodies along the street in our in our area covered with ponchos and, and I could see the difference, you know, oh, there's Adidas assault boots. Shit, who's that? You know, oh, those are Rangers boots. Oh, there's more Adidas boots. What the fuck? You know, I went from invincible to you're going to die to you're out of control of everything. Um, and yeah, I don't even know what's going on anymore. And it was a horrible, terrifying experience that you just end up covering up with bravado and bad decisions, <laughs> I think. Wow, I think that uh, that's one of, the things, one of the big things I got from your book is the, the profound impact of uh, post-traumatic stress and the toll that it took on you personally. And uh, so I, I, uh, I recognize that. Uh, I haven't been in an 18-hour firefight myself, uh, but... I did get shot and I, I had to go get back in the saddle. And so I, I understand what you're saying as far as uh, having to, when you re-experience uh, some of those traumas. Is it, uh, is it the realization of you're not invincible? And, and the reason why I kind of throw that out there is because um, I, was in, I was in first ranger battalion during task force ranger and I went up and did all the train up and all that, but uh, ended up, um, they didn't. They didn't need us. Uh, guys from the third battalion, of course, went. But I think when you're in a unit like that, and you train so hard, and you do the rehearsals, you do the painful rehearsals, you do the you do the hard work. Um, and every fight you're in is just not fair. I mean, you're just kicking the crap out of everybody. You got better equipment. You got better trained guys. Um, and then and then all of a sudden you you hit one of these these incidents that you realize, you know, you're not all that special. You, you are invincible. You can, you know, things can go wrong. Is, is some of that reality when that hits, is that kind of throw people for a loop? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it threw me for a loop. I, uh, I was pretty young, so I hadn't had any other experience. Some other guys had jumped into, you know, Panama, whether that was hard or difficult or scary as it was or whatever, they had that stuff, you know, so they had been shot at or shot near or shot towards people or at people. Or I had no idea who had done what and didn't consider it. I look back now and I'm like, I had nothing but training to wear. Oh, we're going to win. I'm wearing a plastic protect helmet, you know, and my Kevlar, I sewed it myself, was down to the size of like a napkin over my chest and heart because, you know, I could outrun bullets back then. And, and, it, and the reality of, oh, this is not recruitment, right, of getting you to do something. This is the reality of what the job is. And, oh, the worst case reality. And it really opened my eyes to, well, it, well, I woke up, right? I woke up to the truth of what war can be. And uh, and that's when you realize, well, I don't know how to handle this part of it. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to handle all the bad shit that just happened. Yeah. And that's where we've kind of turned it around now with. And guys are smacking their heads with their hands and saying, I've been trained for this. I don't know what's wrong. And I'm like, you haven't been trained for this, brother. You, you've been trained to shoot, move, communicate, medicate, seize property, take lives and whatever. But you haven't been trained to deal with what that does to you mentally and physically yeah, or biologically, really. And, and that's the understanding or spiritually. And that's the understanding that that people don't have a lot of times. Like I'm so highly trained. I should be able to manage this. I go, you haven't been trained to manage this mentally, you know? So you go and get more training, not help. You don't need help unless you've been trained on it and you can't get it done. Somebody come and help you. And the, and the, the kind first of time you're doing it, it's not help. It's just training. Yeah. Right? And, and, so. and is it the training that you're getting the wrong, I mean, it's really the wrong training, right? I mean, you're just doing more of the same. You're not, you're not really getting the, what you really need. Is, is that right? You know, you're just yeah, kinda... right. For training at war, I mean, you're training to shoot better. Right, right. And, I, and, I, and I try to compare that with guys. I'm like, hey, when you picked up your pistol and started to learn to shoot, did you learn it in a day? No. And once you did learn it, did you stop trying to get any better because you're already good at it? And they're like, no. Okay, so with mental health, it's the same thing. Hmm. When you started out, you don't know what you're doing. So it's going to feel weird and it's going to feel stupid and, and you're going to make fun of it, right? And then 
you don't stop after day one or day two or day three. And you don't just stop when you feel better or you think you've reached the end of the line because I feel better now. Oh, and then don't ever go again, because just like shooting or CQB or any trade, you have to keep practicing it to be good at it. So it takes time time. and the same with communication with a spouse, which is 90 percent of what everybody wants help with. Help me at home. I'm good at work, man. I'm real good at work. I'd rather be a war by God than raising my kids because I'm good at it. And then I come home and my job's done and my kids are grown and they don't know me and I don't know what to do. And I don't know how to be a good husband or or father because, well, I'm an asshole and I talk like one and I expect everybody to think that that's normal. And then I finally learned that, oh, nobody talks like that out here. I sound aggressive and mean. (laughs) Are you kidding me? You know, so now I spend my days telling people, yeah, you do sound aggressive and mean, man. You sound like a dick when you talk. And nobody <laughs> likes it anymore. And so if you stop and, and, and have this self-awareness of how am I sound? How do I sound to my children when I'm standing there going, hey, why don't you clean that up? Well, I don't want to clean it up. Wow, you're grounded because you're an asshole. It's like, oh, what kid wants to do that? Right. I mean, what kid really wants to do those things? You I know, found myself treating uh, my kids like uh, trained soldiers. Yeah. You know, Tom, uh, for those of us have, who have experienced it, yeah, can relate uh, to that. Uh, who's had, you know, our body has kept a score, uh, sure. you know, and nothing will be the same. Yeah. And, uh, and, and there's really no way to prepare yourself for it. You, you, ex- you experience it and then you just go on and uh, like you have. And uh, it looks different from, for different people. Oh, for sure. Uh, but um, and and for our listeners, if you you're not picking up on it, uh, we're really talking about post traumatic stress. Uh, we're talking about the impact of it. Talking about the body keeping the score, uh, re experiencing things. There's different ways to look at it. Um, I could let me just go through this real quick. There's there's really uh, four recognized types of symptoms, really. You and you know, PTS can can develop into PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or it can just, you know, these things can resolve themselves. But uh, you have uh, re-experiencing type of symptoms. You have avoidance symptoms. You have hyperarousal. And then you have uh, negative thoughts or feelings. And, and uh, you know, what I get... It's like a warrior. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I get, Tom, is... I think you and I may have experienced the same things as far as similar, and that is re-experiencing things. When we get into similar type moments, uh, we may relive a, a particular feeling. I mean, is that fair? Yeah, I call it uh, I call it muscle memory for my behavior, and I relive those feelings of chaos. Like if I yeah. come in and the house isn't clean, to me that's chaotic. So I react like I did in combat to chaos. I get yeah. dominant big on top of it, figure out the problem. And then I'm like, oh, okay, it's not that bad. No big deal. But I've already pissed off everybody in the room, you know. I thought I, I was aggressive. the only one that did that. <laughs> <laughs> thousands of us. Every day someone's like, oh, you too? I'm like, oh, yeah. you and everybody else, brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, when I'm looking at this too, I mean, I think there's there's two aspects. Number one is the, the self-realization. I mean, that, that's... I mean, you you yourself have to realize that you know this is the way you're you're reacting, and and be able to identify it and and sort of, I mean, you can't deal with it until you identify it, and then of course the other part is you know you got the significant other. I mean, um, you know she has to be kind of aware of what you're doing and kind of be a check on you. I'm, I'm sure you're relying on that a little bit too. Like you know, am I acting weird here, or you know, am That's I coming exactly in? Exactly why? Yeah, that's exactly why we started this foundation. Yeah. We include the spouse from the start, even if the, the service member doesn't yeah. want help, the spouse gets help by themselves because we're creating another tribe, another bad body system that's been neglected over the years. Mm, that's that right. And oh, by the way, they don't know how to talk to each other. She thinks or the spouse thinks they're crazy because the service member acts a certain way and behaves a certain way. And they're like, I don't know. And this mistress, that's the military that takes you away all the time that you love more than me. And they're jealous. Every one of them spew the same emotions about how they feel and when we kind of share the stories and get them together talking it's amazing how soon and quick it all comes back together and like oh we're, we're just fighting each other for the same sake of our relationship but we're fighting hmm. now we the, should uh, be fighting together for the relationship instead of fighting each other to be right about something 
Exactly. So how exactly. how so I'm really curious. So how how is that how has that evolved with the with the two of you? Because I mean I know you didn't just all of a sudden get to where you're at today. No, and we're still working on it today. <laughs> we, well, I, I think it's probably is it fair to say that this might be something you work on your entire life, your entire we, relationship. We, have to. we should always try to improve and, yeah. and grow together. Or we we become stagnant, and like Jens talks about, we have different parts of our lives, and we change during those parts of our lives. Now, are you changing together or apart? And when we're gone so long, we change apart. But we started off with her understanding she wasn't crazy one, and and us, me actually, becoming self aware and being honest about being the person that I was, versus hey, you're just you're just weak and you're just soft, right? First, it's denial, you know, and you're the problem, and you're just sensitive. I, I would call her sensitive. You're just so sensitive. It's like, but it's it's not nice what you're doing. Wow, quit being a baby, you know, or something. It was always somebody else needed to fix himself. So I had to become responsible and self-aware and then honest. And once I realized and, and, and admitted that I was behaving poorly, then I started looking about, okay, what do I need to change first? How can I change this? And we started off just trying everything. Mm. And then when we would, you know, we finally found the right therapist for ourselves. You know, we didn't quit after the first three weren't working out for us. We found one that did. We finally hired her, by the way, and she's our best one yet. But it was it was just nonstop work. You know, we would the realization that, oh, I would she would be driving down the road and I would get mad. And I previous to this one day, I would just start yelling at her or make up something to yell, judge her driving, whatever it was. I would just get mad and then I would start picking on her. And she doesn't know what's going on. I don't even know why I'm doing it. I'm telling myself, stop, but I don't stop, you know, <laughs> but I do it. So I hate myself for doing something I don't really want to do because I love her. And then one day from the awareness of this counselor of where does this anger start in your stomach, your chest, how does it feel? Where does it move and what are you thinking? Can you get away from it before you start that pattern, that muscle memory of getting angry and aggressive? And we were driving the road and I just, I looked at her, I said, you know, I just got mad at you. And she said, what am I doing? And I go, nothing. I just, she's like, where did it start? And I go, it's in my stomach and it moved up to my chest. It got hot and I just want to get mad. And just mm-hmm. telling her about it created that conversation of, well, I'm not mad anymore. We're talking about the same thing now. And it was ridiculous. And so that would become my new, my new habit, my new muscle memory. And then I'd screw it up and I'd scream at her for no reason. And we're, oh, it's all over. And then would work to get back to that. But creating a new muscle memory and a new habit of stopping myself through awareness and catching myself before I get mad and say something I, I, I regret or can't take back. And then I have the shame cycle where I feel bad about myself. Therefore, I feel bad about everyone else. And so therefore, I get angry and aggressive and it starts over. And I'm embarrassed to say I'm sorry because it's happened so many times. Now it's more often of I catch it before it gets horrible. You know, so we fight less. The the gaps between our arguing and fighting are, are much farther apart. So our relationship's much stronger more often. And then therefore we can kind of find these things quicker. So the awareness, the admittance, the catching it, the being relentless about it, and then, you know, and passionate and persevering through it is never ending process. Yeah, and so we that, still screw it up. Something we you still bl- screw it up, and we go back at it, and we start over. So something you bring up there, Tom, is uh, something I recognize and uh, I see a lot is, uh, and I, I believe this, that anger is uh, a control mechanism. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you want to, like when you sense things are chaotic and they're out of whack, uh, you know, I will get pissed in, in order to gain some measure of control over the situation. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, way you outline that is really crucial just to, uh, to be aware of that. Uh, a lot of guys, they just, you know, they're, you know, their, 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 their bodies, their souls, their spirits are out of whack and they, they're just rageaholics and, uh, you know, they rage, uh, to get control and then numb themselves, yep. uh, in different ways. And, and really, uh, this is, this is, uh, uh, a crucial aspect of the, that whole, of that getting to the bottom of it. Uh, I believe you're absolutely right. Um, Some guys adopt it as just who they are. You know, they brag about it. It's just, oh, that's what warriors do uh, till Valhalla. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. You know, and, or I'm Irish, so I, I have to drink. Or, you know, <laughs> just it's always a reason for why they're miserable. 
Yeah. But they'll call you when they're really drunk and talk and sad. And the next day you don't hear from them. They're embarrassed again. Or they'll text you. And I'm like, it's okay. I get it. I went through it. I did it. I lived it. I'm not judging you. Yeah. You know, I want them to stop judging themselves and just admit and realize that you're not alone, man. You're not the only one. Stop telling yourself that you're, you're a horrible person. We all go through it. We all judge ourselves harsher and, and more strict than anyone else would ever judge us. Right on. And uh, as you discussed earlier, the uh, you have the All Secure Foundation. Now, um, I mean, could you elaborate? It's probably something you just touched on, on one of the therapies that you guys use that help uh, guys that are suffering. Well, we use, so we use emotionally focused therapy and that's been proven to work with PTS. So it's like more like cognitive behavioral therapy. I think people mm. are more familiar with that. And it's the therapy that Tom and I went through, um, not one or two sessions, but, you know, probably 18 months of sessions. Right. And it really, it really helped both of us. Um, I had PTS coming into the relationship as well. So, you know, through Tom's healing, I found a lot of my own personal healing as well. So, we knew that this method worked. We were excited to get it out um, and just started sharing her number, frankly, with some of Tom's friends. And they're like, who is this woman and golden what's wrong unicorn. with her? So we started calling her the golden unicorn because she could just crack wow. that awareness right open. And the amazing thing is we, you know, we want you to learn the tools and the tactics so that you don't need our coach forever you know like you learn the skill set and she practices it with you and helps get out what you need to get out and address what you need to address but there's always homework there's always sort of a a mission or a way forward and what wasn't working for us was frankly tom and i would go to talk therapy we'd spend an hour you know pouring our hearts out and then the person would look at their watch and say, okay, your hour's up. And we'd mm. walk out in a much worse place than when we went in. Yeah. <laughs> and so when we found Stacy and she was like, I mean, she would tell us sometimes like, okay, this is way too triggering for you two to talk about. So let's not talk about it till you're back with me on Thursday. And we would make, we'd follow her rules or, Hey, you know, when that anger shows up, she's the one that was helping Tom find that, awareness piece and how to work with it. And then not only, okay, there's the awareness, but what do you do with it? Hmm. And when it's not going right, how do you adjust it? Because everybody is growing. And as you're growing and evolving, your tactics and tools need to as well. Jen, you brought up a great point there. Um, a, a lot of them, actually. Uh, one of them that uh, traumatic events can be experienced indirectly. Uh, and I think I think that's what you're touching on is the traumatic experiences of Tom uh, kind of rippling effect and spilling over and then, you know, having you, you having experienced it that way. Is that, is that about right? Yeah. You know, I think one of the interesting things is I knew I had PTS from childhood trauma. I mean, I had, um, I was fully aware that, okay, I had an abusive childhood and so that's playing a part. But what I didn't know was we were sitting there with Stacy, and she said, you know that you have secondary PTS from the relationship with Tom as well. Mm. And I had never heard of that before. And so I got to work and started researching. And I've spent the last <clears throat> three, four years standing in front of special operators and their wives asking. Generals. Have you heard of secondary PTS? And we get one or two hands out of hundreds. Wow. So, you know, that's something that we're really passionate about educating as well is, you know, spouses will call and say, but I don't have the anger. I'm not violent or I'm not aggressive or I'm not these things. I never went to war. And when I say things like, mm, do you find yourself depressed or anxious? Oh, my gosh, all the time. I wake up like I'm already on 10 cups of coffee or, you know, I, I'm losing interest in things that I normally like to do, or I'm isolating from family and friends. I'm, I'm like, okay, here we are. This is secondary PTS and we can also tackle that. And there's also tools for you to use to heal because it is an individual journey and it's also a couple's journey. Yeah. That's Both. good. To, just to demythologize all of this. Uh, yeah. yeah. Paul's, Paul's been married uh, a long time. I've been married a long time. Um, 
and I don't know how I have. I want, it's, <laughs> it's, listen, it's 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 generally the yeah. wife that that we figured has, out. Yeah, we uh, my for, yeah for whatever reason, I think my wife just has had pity on me. But yeah. um, she, yeah. you know, she she continues to feel sorry for me. Thank goodness. But um, you know, you end up in counseling every now and then because if you're if you're married long enough or not, even a short marriage, sometimes you know you, you get these ruts and you need to go see someone. And you really said something earlier that really connected with me, and that is you figured out the people you were talking to weren't the right people. And you were willing to go find another therapist. Because, you know, you can come out of one or two of those and and just kind of give up on therapy and just think there's there's someone that's not out there. But you really have to be uh, persistent and know that you're needing someone, you're needing help, and someone is going to connect, and someone's going to make a difference. And sometimes you're going to have to knock on a few doors and go go do the go do the work. When I have people tell me, um, we hear excuses every day, right? I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I've seen so many therapists, I'm one myself, or I don't want to see a therapist unless they've been to combat because they won't understand me. And I'm like, okay, well, my therapist doesn't want to talk to you unless you've gone to school for eight years. You know, does that feel good to hear that? You know, because you went and won the war all by yourself without enablers that did a different job that you can't do. Right. So I bring up their understanding and remove their excuses. And I tell them you, you haven't, you know, how many people are married? All right. How many people have gone to counseling or therapy? And the hands rarely go up, right. They rarely go up. Couples do it. I'm like, good, good, good. Now the people who haven't been to counseling or therapy, why not? Well, we just haven't needed. I go, is your relationship perfect? Not one hand goes up. I go, then why would you go to work on that? That's true. Why why do you need to be tanking? Why do we need to be rock bottom? Why does it take 13 years on average for operators to reach out for help? Yeah. We're stubborn little dummies sometimes, man. We're yeah. very sensitive creatures. Yeah, we act like we're so hardcore. Yet we we lash out like babies when we get mad because we can't, you know, have everything we want. We're not God anymore, you know, and we can't change your life and, and be all powerful. So we don't know what to do. Mm. It's like we go to somebody who can help us with that before there's a problem. Like PMCS, right? Back in the day, preventive maintenance checks and services. Keep it running right. Don't let it break and don't wait till it's running sluggish to go work on it. Just maintain it. So I tell people go to therapy all the time. Has the Department of Defense gotten any smarter with this stuff? Um, I've been out a while, but, you know, Paul's been out a a while. (laughs) I mean, I, you know, to me, it seems like, uh, and granted, I understand you, you may not be able to do this DOD wide, but sp- specifically some of these um, units with the budgets, okay, that can afford this thing. You would think this would be in their best interest to really embrace the unit, and I'm talking about the warrior and the wife. You know, em- embrace the team early on. We preach that. We we've gone and talked to command teams. We go and talk to leadership teams. We go and talk to organizations. All the special forces groups we've been to, and and we, we, I throw up. I go, "What's your training budget? Oh, millions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your POTA funds? Huh? What's that? You know? <laughs> okay. So you don't you don't have any money. They just don't have the money. Now the big army has money. They don't fish it on down. And everyone knows, even these units with money, we've called them up. Hey, we want to come in. We want to talk to your people. Well, we don't have time here. They're spending their money on that. You know, all you need to do is cover travel, man. You know, we got donors. We got donors to do this. If you can get us there, you if you can set it up, we'll talk about it. It's just just that group think of we don't, you know, I don't know if they want to admit it, but they're getting better at it. They're having the, I mean, there's still suicides. It's It's the stigmatization of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they're getting a little better. We've been tackling it at all levels. We've, you know, hitting and hitting all the SF um, groups when they're coming in off the street. We get them before they start training. We get them in the middle of training. We get them after they graduate. And hopefully we get them when they're on a team somewhere, you know? And anybody that'll take us to just open their eyes to this, because everywhere we go, it's one of those things where you you keep talking and you think everybody knows what I know now. Right. I mean, yeah. we've been doing this for years. And you, and like Jen said, secondary post-traumatic stress mm. spouses, leaders don't know about it. Yeah, you can catch it from your spouse because they're acting so poorly. You change how you behave yeah. in anticipation of how they're going to act. So you have therefore changed. Yeah. Yep. And and. It, People just don't know about it yet. I would love to have it out there like Sharps training or something where you have to do it. You have to sit down and do it. You have to go through counseling and talk after you come back from deployments or from combat or whatever it is. And you have to have regular checkups. 
Now, sure, that's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of money. But like I said, what's your training budget? What are your POTA funds? How many people have died in combat in the last 20 years? What, 5,673 versus how many suicides that we had in the same amount of time? You know, you're up at 60, 60 to 80,000. The enemy can't touch us at the rates that we're killing ourselves at. That's true. That is absolutely true. And something else, uh, Tom, is, uh, I mean, in your book, you highlight this. It's just the humility. I mean, you have to have humility as a soldier and say, hey, look, I, I need to get help. And uh, something that rings true in your book, uh, I mean, you got to have the, you know, the intestinal fortitude to actually, you know, step up and say, hey, look, I need to get some help. And uh, that's something I really got out of your book. And uh, I think that's, you know, probably keeping a lot of people back from getting help because they're not brave enough, I guess, to, if I could say it that way, to get help. But, uh, hey, on, on that note, what could we say to our young soldiers who have not, or just soldiers that have not yet experienced combat? I mean, you and I have both been to, you know, OTC. Uh, nothing I remember could have prepared me for when I had a bullet go through my neck. Um, how how you, can you? How can you prepare <laughs> for that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what? And and nothing could really prepare you for those uh, for those traumatic experiences that you you know, you went through in Mogadishu for those 18 hours. I mean, uh, I think it was the the largest uh, protracted gun battle since Vietnam at the time. My, what can we say to guys um, this side of the those experiences? I guess uh, if I dumbed it down, it would be grow up. <laughs> you're, you're not invincible. You're not that guy you think you are as a kid with with you know experience and age comes the knowledge of things that we should we should listen to our leaders and and not the ones that are saying rub dirt on it because that gets an infection right but mm. they were taught by people back in the day it's just you're not invincible mm. right you're not immortal you're not invincible i've seen little girls kill adult trained men you know it's mm. just sit back be realistic about what you're saying because I, I still go head to head with some of my close friends. I'm fine. I, you know, I don't have a problem. Like, okay, warrior, you know, I've seen what you've been through. I lived through it. You know, it's, I haven't met a person that wasn't affected by it. Right. Anything horrible like that, people are affected and it changes who you are. And if you don't work on it, it'll grind on you and it sticks in your gut. And, and I packed it away yeah, for many, many it. years and I shoved it away thinking I'm good every day people are proven wrong when they call you know this is real isn't it tom yeah i just sit and wait for him to call but the young guys need to need to understand you're not invincible mm. and that's physical and mental yeah yeah people always go to the physical form you know i want to get big i want to want to get my muscles you know but are you smart because <laughs> as soon as you open your mouth you know everything can change mm. so if you're big and strong and physically fit but yet biologically inside you're changing because emotionally and mentally you're changing you still feel like a train wreck and you still don't feel good about yourself and you're still going to treat everyone else like shit because you don't love yourself no matter how good you look in the gym mm -hmm. all these new programs that they have now all come with nutritionists and workout people and a therapist you know <laughs> guess what everybody uses the nutritionist and the workout king but they've never really goes to the therapist still yet That's it's right. a trifecta body mind spirit and everybody's on the body you know, but they don't hit the mind and the spirit too much. It's the easy two of the three. I mean, this such yeah. a, I, I remember it just is. the stigmatization, I'm going to get that word right here in a second, of just being around the psychs, you know, because yeah. if, if someone sniffed something, you're like, well, then I'm out of here, you know, because there's a, a zero deficiency, you know, type of uh, atmosphere in the unit, you know. Right. Uh, and so you. And that's so false. That's yeah. so false for them to even say that the no fail mission bullshit. Yeah. I, I always remove that. I'm like, no fail missions. Really? How about ever changing conditions mission? Yeah. You keep changing. Something fails. You're going to change anyway. So no, it's not going to fail, but millions of things fail on missions. We just adapt around them. Yeah. I remember uh, after I, and I don't want to depart from your story, but uh, just something real quick here for me. Uh, I did, I did get shot in 06 and uh, it changed me. And uh, I realized that I was not immortal uh, real quick. 
as I was laying on that uh, floor in uh, Abu Ghraib, looking up at that crappy ceiling that I thought needed to be painted. And uh, (laughs) and that's what I was thinking at the time, man, they really should have painted the ceiling. You know, how dumb I was thinking about that. But, but uh, I had a wake up call and uh, you know, nothing could have prepared me for that. And when I was reading your book, I kind of re-experienced that a little bit, especially, uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to spoil uh, your read at all, the book, but uh, you have this, uh, one of the chapters just talks about how it's like a groundhog day and how you just yeah. kind of suit up and you, you know, you get all your guns, you go out, get back in your vehicles, your video, you do it all again. And I was like, man, that is so spot on. And, and uh, you can get caught up in that. And when something hits you like a freight train, you're just not ready. And uh, I think maybe you really, ultimately, and I don't think we can really be ready. Uh, it's a, after it happens, just the humility, uh, just to say, hey, look, you know, I, I'm not, uh, I've been hurt, right? And I need, I need to get healed. Yeah. And, uh, and now I've changed and I need to move forward. Something like that. So, I mean, personally, I got a lot out of your book, uh, and I have uh, some PTS, and so it helped me. So for guys out there, you, you really want to give this a good read, uh, all secure. And then, uh, you know, if you're having trouble, you know, for those out there, um, you know, your spouse, whoever you are, uh, there's a reason why we have, as uh, Tom mentioned, 21 veterans a day killing themselves. Uh, because maybe they don't know there's something out there. So the All Secure Foundation exists to help veterans and their spouses so and their families. But it uh, sounds like I'm wrapping things up, but I just kind of wanted to make sure I threw that out there, Tom. No, I appreciate it. And, I'm, you know, I think the realization of what you said about being invincible, and, I, I, you know, if I could tell the young guys, just listen to those with experience. You know, we, we go in the room with these young kids and I go, I'm not up here wagging my finger because when I was sitting in that chair and some old guys up here telling me, you know, when in Vietnam, I'd be a shut up, old man, you know, get off the stage. <laughs> I get it, you know, but I'm trying to bring that reality of, hey, when people come up here and tell you something, if 10 people are telling you, hey, it's going to change your life. Why don't you listen up a little bit, you know, uh, and absolutely. do the PMCS on everything. You know, if you have to take care of your weapon because you need to keep it running right because it needs to run right to save your life, then do that with your brain, do that with your body, do that with your relationship. If it works for one thing, it'll work for many other things as well. And everything in the military, we're taught to take care of it, keep it running so it can save you and do what it's supposed to do. Do that at home too. It makes sense. Mm. And also it's not a matter of willpower. I think there's a lot of this misconception that you can just man up. I'm going to command my way through this one. You know? and <laughs> when I think what helps is when you know, the operators, they sit down and they look at the biology, they look at the brain scans, they see the biological effects of the trauma, and they realize maybe for the first time that it's an injury. It's it's a injury that can be healed. And I think um, that's a tremendous, that's a tremendous thing to realize. Is that perspective on it, if you can heal that, it. Exactly, that it's not a matter of willpower, it's not a matter of how strong you are. Um, but truly this, this is biology that you're fighting. So the sooner that you address it, especially for the young guys, the sooner you'll heal from it. So yeah. Tom always says the amount of time you wait to heal is the main amount of time that you'll suffer. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that's, these are some exceptionally strong, talented, uh, gifted warriors that hit rock bottom. It is not about your stamina. It is not about how good a shape you're in, and the gym's not going to fix this. Um, I, I and I'm, I and I'm really yeah. glad that that you you brought that up, Jen, because that is absolutely true. You are not gonna you're not gonna bench press your way out of this one. Mm, that's good. I wish I could divulge the level of leadership and the number of high level warriors that reach out and are getting help. From us and on us and retraining. We don't even, like I said, we call it help, but we don't want to call it help because it's just training or retraining. And, and, or it's like PT, you know, you do PT after an injury. Mm -hmm. 
it's the same thing. You're just coming in for PT. It's it's no big deal. For the people out there that think, oh, I don't need that or it's not for me. Everybody that calls us. Oh, I don't mine wasn't like yours. Comparison is a thief of healing. OK, mm-hmm. we don't compare. No one gives Doesn't a matter. shit what you did for a living anymore. Right. No one cares what you did. It's, it didn't get you anything anymore. Stop judging yourself by stop comparing yourself with it. And just realize that there are so many people that you don't understand that come talk to us. And that's just us. There's other organizations I know people go to that we don't know about. And if I could run these names down for people, it would probably save so many more people. But I'm hoping that these individuals come out on their own and spread the message like like I did and Jen is doing and other people are starting to do. Because that's what saves lives. Mm. Not hiding, not, not doing the AA thing. Like I, I tell everybody, you know, you can get up on a bar and get drunk and it's funny yeah, and everybody's yeah, watching yeah. you and not, you know, not to do that. Right. But back when we were drunk and on the bar, everybody knew it. Yeah, everybody knows I'm drunk. <laughs> everybody knows I'm bad and crazy. But when I need help for that, I got to be anonymous. Mm. <laughs> why, why can't I stand <laughs> up and say, I'm, <laughs> I'm tired of acting yeah. like an asshole. So I'm going to stop drinking so much. And I need help for that because it, it's fun to drink, you know, so I'll get a little help. But wow. we got to be anonymous. So it's still the shameful thing we put on it, you know, and it's. Yeah. So I give everybody a gold star. So I wish these, and I hope that these individuals come out and say, yeah, we're getting help too. And cause that really creates a tribe. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Continue doing what you're doing. What, what's uh, next on the horizon for you? Do you just, just continuing uh, on this, on the current path or do you have some other projects that, uh, that you're passionate about? Uh, Jen's looking to start like a spiritual healing kind of book. I don't know. Did I, did I get that right? We're looking to, to get together on another book um, mm. about more healing and, and more in-depth healing and different levels of healing. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you said that because I was just sitting here during um, this episode listening to you, and I was thinking, you know, is there? I was going to ask you about about uh, did you feel like there was a more of a spiritual side of this too that that assists people that, that really helps people? And was that your case? I mean, did did you have a spiritual sort of calling? Uh, uh, awakening a little bit there tom when you finally realized you hit rock bottom or what i mean was there a spiritual aspect or something that yeah not back then but more now yeah um back then i was still in and out in and out you know oh it's just uh, drinking oh it's just the the pain pills oh it's just this and oh you know or just chasing women you know the same old history that i used to and it's like okay break the habit break the habit break the habit and then now, as I look back, you know, and now as moral injury creeps in and, and you're settling down and you start remembering the lives you took and then you start thinking, oh, they had families, you know, and oh, this and that. I've changed from questions coming from Jen, like, do you um, feel bad about the people you shot over here, over there? And I, back then I'd be like, screw those people, you know, screw them. You know? <laughs> it was all survival, you know, sure. And, and mm. to this day, I'm still glad it's me rather than them. And But yeah, it does take a toll. And you have to address it. You 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 must address. And it's not religious. It's spiritual. It's yeah. It's whatever you call it, whatever you believe in. It's something. Yeah, we all have and a spiritual component. Against, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't even think it was. Do you feel bad about it? It was more. How do you feel about you know? Because yeah. I never wanted to place any type of judgment. I that's not my place. Right. And also, I do believe that there are bad people in this world. Um, mm-hmm. That that don't need to be here anymore. So it was more about when the nightmares were plaguing him, when, you know, he couldn't sit still or be quiet because those images would come back. It was more of a curiosity of what does this mean to you? Why is it haunting you so much? You know, why can't you, um, what, what is holding you up from healing from this part of you? And what it came down to was I was always told, you know, killing is wrong. I was always told, to turn the other cheek, you know, I was raised that way. And then you end up killing thoughtlessly, not even thoughtlessly, but no, very, maybe mechan- very, very, very thoughtful. Mechanically, maybe. You're, you're thinking about your mission. No, here's a live, no threat in the hand. I don't care what you look like, who you were, what sex you were, what your age was. Mm. If you had a threat in your hand, you died. And I, I looked at you later, you know, it was uh, thoughtless, but muscle memory thoughtless because I'm already looking over here. To, I've already judged this and moved on. And it wasn't, I think, until the quiet when you had to, you personally felt like you had a face where you just literally said, I didn't care that you were this, this or that until at one point you did. Well, a scenario of you kick in the doors of a home because something bad's there and you're told to go there and you go there. 
and a woman in the kitchen, kid on the stairs with a weapon, aiming a weapon at the, uh, the front door, and you're coming in the side door, and then there goes the kid, right? It's defending his home, probably, right? Now you have to deal with that. All the things that were done with this individual were done correctly. So does that does that make him feel any better when he finds out what really the whole story is in the end? No. So you have to deal with that. You have to put that to bed and forgive yourself. I tell everybody, everybody forgive yourself. Whatever it is, forgive yourself and move on. Yeah, that is a strong message. And it's absolutely true. I mean, um, you, you definitely have to deal with um, your experiences yeah. and you have to you have to sort them out and you have to make sense of them. Um, and I, and I, and I'm glad that, uh, you are working on that, um, the book on the spiritual component of that, because I think that's a really a huge part and I, and I appreciate you uh, sharing that uh, with us. And, uh, Tom and Jen, uh, for, for everyone out there, you need to know about all secure foundation You can go to all secure foundation.org, uh, as it says on their website. Uh, veteran suicide numbers are on the rise, and even more warrior and warrior families are suffering in silence. But there is help, and there is hope. And so the All Secure Foundation uh, retrains your brain from post-traumatic stress, PTS, to post-traumatic growth, PTG, through programs and workshops, individuals and couples, coaching, and online courses. So Tom and Jen, I appreciate you guys coming on Thank you. the podcast today. I'm uh, Personally, I'm a better person. Uh, for having spent this hour with you. Uh, Tom, you're one of my heroes. I know those, uh, that word is thrown around a lot, but you really are uh, a hero. And uh, it's because of what you've experienced, not only what you've done, but what you're doing with your experience. So I appreciate that. And Jen, Just giving back. Yeah, hats off to you as well. Yep. Thank you, Paul. And thank you, Mike. We truly appreciate you having us on and sharing this message out there. Awesome. awesome. Godspeed. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Pine Lander podcast. Uh, if you enjoy our content, we hope you'll check out our sponsors. Blacksmith Publishing has been serving the warrior class since 2013. We've got great titles written by warriors for warriors. And if you're looking for some cool Pine Lander apparel, some neat swag, head on over to the general store at pinelander1776.com. Uh, continue to uh, support us on the American Agogi Project, uh, building uh, tomorrow's warriors today. And until our next meeting, remember, keep your head on a swivel, stay mentally and tactically smart, physically and spiritually strong, and socially astute. And to each other, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. God bless Pineland.